So we're starting with verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says all day long, I held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, this is in a context that we need to unpack just to review from last time. In this chapter 9, which seems very predestinarian, but which is really not, it's talking about the chosen people versus the Gentiles. And one of the purposes Paul seems to have in writing Romans is to try to bring the two groups together. I think we need to really take this into consideration when we read something like Acts 15. You know, this issue of circumcision. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a greater crisis behind the scenes. Acts 15 seems very moderate, and, and it, you know, there was this little problem, and they solved it very easily, and everything was happy ever after. It isn't that simple. Uh, the Judaizers are constantly circulating around Asia Minor, and Israel uh, uh, proclaiming that you had to keep the law of Moses, and you had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. They wanted to be seen as Jews, full-fledged Jews. And their Christianity was secondary to Judaism. So you have this, this tension, constant tension in the Christian church between Jews and Gentiles. And what acts, probably acts, exacerbates it is that Paul, typically when he goes from church to church, he goes to a synagogue first. When he comes to a town where there's no Christian presence, he goes to a synagogue, and he preaches on Sabbath morning. And at first they go, wow, this is really cool. And then they go, you're radical. No, and they kick him out. And what he does is take off out of the synagogue all of the Gentiles, the, pro the quasi-proselyte Gentiles. So what happened in the synagogue is that Jews... Would, would be attracted to Judaism. They liked Yahweh. They liked old, the Old Testament. But they couldn't, it, it couldn't imagine being circumcised. They just couldn't deal with the pain. So they were there, but they weren't Jews, because you couldn't be a Jew unless you were circumcised. But they, there they were, feeling like they were in and out at the same time, and not feeling like they belonged. So Paul comes along and says, you don't have to be circumcised. And the, and the Gentile portion of the synagogue say, yes, now we can become we're followers of Yahweh. And we'll be followers of, of this Jesus Christ. Well, that probably didn't set well with the Jews. They lost a contingent of their synagogue. And they didn't like these Christians who were preaching no circumcision. So there was this enormous tension. So Paul, Paul's real thrust is salvation is for all. God ordained that everyone should be. And I almost feel like preordained is more about being ordained than predestination ordained. Okay. 
He preordained that everyone should be saved. That's his will. Verse 12 of chapter 10. Scripture, verse, I'll start with verse 11. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, he's going to unpack, what about the Jews? He starts out, I think, in chapter 9, by saying that he, he just longs to, for his own people to embrace Jesus. So now, he talks about how everyone can be saved if they call on the Lord. But then he asks, how are they to call on one whom they not believed? If they don't trust him, how can they call on him? How are they to trust in one whom they've never heard? Here you go. The Gentiles have never heard about him. And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And so he says, how beautiful are the feet, he quotes Isaiah here, how beautiful are the feet of those who are sent. So he says in verse 17, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. And the reason hearing is so important here is you didn't hand people Bibles to read. You heard them in the synagogues and in the churches. So now he says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then he says, I want to make Israel jealous of the Gentiles who could hear. Why? So that they'll try to, to keep, get out, keep up with them, catch up with them, and believe in Christ. But he's, he's quite despairing in verse 21. All day long I've held out my hands to disobedient and contrary people. I ask then, chapter 11, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknow, foreknew. So he foreknew that they would be his people. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed their, your prophets and they have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Any, any comments before I move on? I mean, this is, this is kind of a place where it's hard to stop because you're, going for, you're, you're still waiting for the real idea to emerge. But uh, anything, any comments on anything that we've read? You know, Gene, part of my journey with my son and, and myself, too, is, you know, I've been playing through the evangelicals, and I fellowship with him. He's 40, early 40s, and um, what connects with him and kind of the recovery churches, I usually go every week to to one of their services. I mean, just powerful. And you think of, you know, often I think we, we got so exclusive Adventists, so we think the Spirit of God only is working. My sakes, He is powerfully working in many other ways, and even some secular, we would say mm-hmm. secular ways in people, and, and uh, you know, my daughter's in Bali, and 
and uh, you know just just um, you know there's things that are moving into that area that have just just dad now you can come because it was like I never saw one Christian church in two months. You know. Well, it took it's me all, all an hand. hour to get to the Adventist church. It's all Hindu and Muslim, and you just but there's you know God God is moving, and just uh, one of her friends that only one that we met that was Christian, you know, in the whole two months, you know, but it was... But but other organizations are coming in and, and sweeping it with Christianity, I think, which I is think a shock. There are a lot of Australians. Hindu is very get, sweet. Get Hinduism <laughs> is very sweet. The people seem to be very kind to one another and don't aren't angry, won't blow up at you, won't pull out a gun, anything. They're just very gentle. So that's a lovely thought in their religion, but they have no idea of Christ. And actually, the religion is built on fear. I talked I with so a former too. Hindu, mm-hmm. and, yeah, uh, and he said that he grew up in Hinduism as a child, and that's all he knew was fear. Yes. Well, it appears to, to me that way, too. <coughs> the little little girls and stuff, that you know, they clean their house, take care of their kids, and they have a whole little factory, too, but... Where they never miss putting the offerings on the motorcycle right. and on the thing, and, and then the cigarettes and money for the evil spirits on the floor. They, the they protect themselves them. against every single thing. Right. Right. Yeah, right. They have to appease the gods and the spirits that's all the time. So, how, Doug said the last time he visited there, and it's hard for him to go back because how does God reach this whole body of people with yeah. with not even a Baptist church on the property? You know, anywhere. It just, yeah, it's, it's, you know, just, you look at, I, would, I haven't been exposed to countries that are so non-Christian. I mean, it's, I just, it's overwhelming. You know, I've been in ministry my whole life. And just, I, it's overwhelming. How could you ever start? You should have been a missionary you know, somewhere. <laughs> you would have seen a lot of that. But I really respected, <laughs> I really respected missionary. It's just to come into those areas and, you know, you know, how are you going to make, you know, every, like their house, everything, everything has all these idols for the ancestors and the, I mean, it's such a... I saw it in Hong Kong. <laughs> every shop. Every shop. Every shop had their offerings. Mm-hmm. And there's idols and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, Doug said, how is God going to reach it's, these It's people? really in, the biggest hurdle, and so I don't know if this is true of Hinduism, but in, in Chinese religions, the biggest hurdle to uh, actually converting them is ancestry worship. Mm. Who's going to take care of my parents' grave? When, who I mean, my the parents think who's going to take care of my grave if my grave if my children become Christians? Oh, that would be a huge hurdle. Yeah, because uh, you're so, not just supposed to clean the grave at Qingming Festival. Oh. You're supposed to sit around the grave and eat with your dead ancestors. And if a white butterfly lands on you, you know that Grandma has come to visit you. Oh yeah. my goodness! Well, they spend so much money in these mm-hmm. ancestral, you know, big things that they have, those are expensive. And yeah. some of them have, like, for all the ancestors in their whole backyard, in our backyard is all full of these <laughs> towers, you know. But you know, I love that text, where you, I just think we limit where God is working and what he is doing. Just Well, we could go back, and I'll have to admit, this is where I uh, disagree with one of my former colleagues. Um, but uh, back to Romans... He says, um, uh, when the Gentiles, uh, this is chapter 2, verse 
14. When the Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God through Jesus Christ will judge secret thoughts of all. Uh, God is the last word on who saved or lost. And I like to think that if they exhibit the law of love, then the Holy Spirit has been working on their hearts, just as he works on ours, or tries to. And it doesn't, to me, does not at all negate the need for missionaries and, and spreading the gospel. I, I don't see those in conflict. Because many more will come if we do that. And who wants to just reach the barely gotten in rung of the ladder, you know, by believing in, in love, for example? Why not get as much information and much understanding and much uh, love and trust as we possibly can? Well, it's like what Malcolm used to always drill us and say it's, 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 why don't we send missionaries? Well, you have much more evidence and much more convincing argument. And you have the Jesus story and the right. word rather than just That's right. you have an example mm-hmm. of love you, yeah. it's not just what you see in nature but you have an example yeah, love and fear and meanness in nature even among cats <laughs> <laughs> well especially among big cats I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie um, Animals Are Beautiful People oh yes, uh-huh. oh. yes. There's, there's, there's this scene where there's this pride of lions and they're really scrawny because they're in the desert and there isn't a lot of food. But they think that they're really hot stuff, and especially the grandfather lion who's in charge of everybody. So Junior comes strutting along and kind of gives a little lip by his paw, and he gets smacked and sent back to the beginning of the line, and then he has to march past Grandpa and all the other lions in due submission. <laughs> so there's a, there's this hierarchical model even in nature. I see it. Oh. A little Babylonian stuff. Yeah, a little Babylonian stuff, all right. Maybe the, maybe the Babylonians got it from the lions. <laughs> well, they like lions. Yes, they? they did. <laughs> so we have... This problem of Jews and Gentiles, the Gentile, the Jews do not want to admit the Gentiles, and especially not unless they become circumcised. And then they're still second-class self-saved people. Let's move to so we move to chapter eleven. Uh, has God rejected His people? Not at all. They have seven thousand and not be able to need to bail. So verse seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Ooh. That must have been hard for a Jew. Uh, right, right there, is the, it must be hard for the Jews to accept that. Mm-hmm. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Hmm. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it was written. God gave them a sluggish spirit, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their t- table be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and keep their backs forever bent. Hmm. He's speaking of the wicked. And if you go back to the psalm, Paul applies it to the Jews. 
who rejected Jesus. So what do you do with this language? God gave them a sluggish spirit, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. Well, Blanco, from the clear word, says God will not interfere with their choice if they close their eyes to truth. That's an interesting interpretation. Anglo-Saxon eyesing, or, or I don't know if it's conceptually different than what he's saying there. It's, it's, it's a different way of putting it. Yeah. There's a constant, constant in Scripture from Old and New Testaments where God is said to do everything he allows. Right. Uh. And then we have to keep that principle in mind and not get thrown by language. There you go. Language is human. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means, but through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Again, he comes back to this jealousy theme. He wants them to be jealous so that they'll try to come aboard and believe in Jesus. Now, if their stumbling means riches for the world and their defeat means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? If they would just come, think how wonderful it would be to have Jews and Gentiles all worshiping together the same God. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glorify my ministry in order to make my own people jealous and thus save some of them. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, then the branches are also holy. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted into their place to share the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you do, not, if you do boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root supports you. That's quite obvious, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. You will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand only through faith, so do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And even those in Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you have been cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Mm. 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 Any comments? Hmm. What about the kindness and severity of God? What is the severity to those who have fallen? Those who have because of unbelief, dried up and broken off just by natural cause from the tree. What is the severity in that case? Not forcing the opposite to happen. Right. Just let them them have their choice. Letting Mm -hmm. it happen. Mm -hmm. It's so so parenting. (laughs) Everything goes back to parenting for me. I know. (laughs) But um, to allow things to happen is is actually kind of hard. And it can seem severe, I guess, because of the consequences that happen. It does. I know of... Even though it's not like God making it happen. I know of a parent who 
decided to let her son uh, suffer the consequences of a choice, so he, she let him make the choice and didn't stop him. And he suffered consequences. He did not like them. And he came back at her and said, Why didn't you stop me? <laughs> of course, the irony of that question is that if I would have said anything, the mom mm -hmm. would have said, It wouldn't have stopped you. Yeah. I mean, that's true. exactly how it is mm -hmm. with God. Mm -hmm. If I would exactly. have done anything, it wouldn't have stopped mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Doesn't Paul in, in Corinthians, uh, it's kind of the wrath of God as he left them to their own devices. That's actually Romans. Romans That's 1. Romans 1. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so the severity is parallel to the wrath. He simply lets those branches fall. He doesn't try to save them. Well, if you cut yourself off from life, pouring oxygen into you is only going to kill you more. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. What a beautiful picture. He'll take those dead, dry branches and put them back in. Yeah. Well, that, that's what's live. cool. Mm -hmm. That's what's cool. That's yeah. what's way cool because he says he'll put the natural ones back in. What does it say? And how much and more how much will they more fit their own original tree? Yeah. Back. I mean, that's <laughs> This is not a wild branch now. This no. is a, a, a tame branch, a domesticated branch. Mm -hmm. And it is back in its own tree. You are no longer feral. You are part of this household. You know, you're not a feral cat. <laughs> Broken off. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Abandoned. Abandoned. Your own devices. Well, this is a neat fellow. I remember my way through high school and college grafting trees. Yeah, he did. Oh, mm. The grafting. And to, to that, that whole process and the whole thing, you're putting those cambium layers, that growth layer in close proximity, and you're holding it there until it attaches. You know, it is. How long was that? Would that be that you had to hold it? Well, we we would use uh, use bands or wax or mm -hmm. paper, mm -hmm. but it's um, you know, it can't have anything interfere. You know, it's um, it was mm -hmm. a very delicate layer. Yeah. Sure. And some trees grow good, and some like apple trees. If you just get the bud close to the apple tree, it'll take. You know? <laughs> Put a stick in. Well, there. Other, other a ones are very that, hard that to is, get. That is that is that has to be true because I have a golden, delicious apple tree. Unfortunately, it's not doing well with the drought. But um, in its heyday, it produced big, beautiful, <gasps> mellow, sweetest tasting apples you can imagine. I mean, it just made all the apples in the store taste horrible. They didn't want to buy anymore. But that apple tree originally, when I first got in that lot, it hardly produced anything but little peeny, teeny apples. and They didn't taste like much. I didn't even bother with it. Mm -hmm. And then it got fire blight. Uh, we had that seven-year drought yeah. from 1987, 86, 87 to 1994. And then it poured down rain like 50 inches in a matter of three weeks or something like that. It was just a horrendous amount of water. And that's what caused the fire bright is an overabundance of water, uh, overwatering. Yeah. And, and so it got fire blight. Fire blight grows in the middle of the, of the tree, and it blackens the internal part of the tree. Mm -hmm. And then the leaves start curling up and going brown. And so it got fire blight really bad and so I 
I think I contacted a nursery and they said you just need to. I took it to a, a branch to a nursery or a twig, and they looked at it and they said you have fire bright light and you got to cut that tree down and get rid of it because all the other trees around you could get it. Well, it would only be fruit trees, but still. Hmm. I decided to cut it down. It was Foxy's fla- favorite climbing tree. <laughs> so she she uh, ran to another part of the yard where there was a beautiful uh, dogwood, and she put her po- arms around oh. the dogwood and Hanging clutched on. it tight like you can't have this Not one. This one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I cut it down, and I left a stump about that high. And for years, shoots would come out from the base, but they always came out at odd angles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just cut them off. One day, a shoot came out that went like this. Well, how about that? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Well, it won't hurt to leave it. So I left it, and it grew and grew and grew. And about three years later, it was a young tree. Mm-hmm. And it had leaves on it, and it was... And, and I thought, well, you know, it, it's too below the graph line. I mean, y- there's no way. It, it's too, yeah. it's rootstock. It, it just won't possibly bloom. And then, lo, there were six blossoms. And I thought, well, you know, if it does produce apples, it won't, they won't taste like much. It produced six beautiful apples. <laughs> and I was That's like, cool. I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to eat those or not. (laughs) (laughs) So my neighbor Gwen, bless her heart, said, I'll try one. She picked it off and ate it. She says, it's pretty good. And that's the tree that produced these beautiful, luscious apples. One year that produced so many, I had two boxes, three boxes in my trunk. I took them to my parents because I can't eat too many apples. They have too high a content of sugar in them. And I took them to my parents to can or to freeze, actually. They froze them. And I had to take some of them back because there were too many. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. And they were big. I mean, they were just these huge apples. They were big. So, so that I felt that that, that God grafted that tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very wow. true. Wow. And that's what He can do with us. Some of in our area, this is a huge nursery I've worked at, but some of the most famous fruit came from a nursery person saving the sprout. Uh, and it's you know just the freak of nature and how that that so maybe you develop a new new strain of apple yeah. or let it come out <laughs> or something. Oh, you know? well, they they taste wonderful. Oh, they're that's just, just awesome. when they when they do produce. Now this year was the worst yet, mm. but maybe one of these days we'll get some rain. Did you ever look and see what take it some of what kind of apple? Was it a real? Or was it kind of a... Golden Delicious. Oh, it's very, good. very definitely a Golden Delicious. I did ask Earl Augard about that. I said, have you ever known an, an apple tree to uh, grow back from after you cut it down? And he said, only a Golden Delicious. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I told him about my tree. He said that he had a Golden Delicious that did that. No other apple tree in his history.
Well, our time is up. Um, we got back. We finished on 24. We did finish on 24. Okay. So we only have a little bit more to go at the end of the chapter. And this is this is a long treatment of the same topic mm -hmm. Paul's really gotten going. But I think one thing I'd like to leave with us is that Paul, Paul really longs for his own brothers and sisters to be saved, to accept Jesus, to believe in him, to trust in him. We are a church deeply divided. And it's easy, easy to blast the other side. But what if we were like Paul and had a heart for those of us, those estranged from us, and if those estranged from us had a heart for us who are estranged from them? Mm -hmm. What could happen to conversation? What could happen to understanding mm -hmm. if we had that kind of heart that Paul had? All right, let's have prayer. Father, we thank you so much for having Doug and Carol with us. We thank you that um, everybody's here around the table in this Christmas season that we have to remind us of your coming here to graft us back into you. And we pray that that grafting may take root and that we might abide in you as you told us to do. Bless us and guide us during this Christmas break. And may we fellowship with you more fully because of our time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.